hello once again. You are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. Guess what? I'm your gracious and grateful host. That is a fact. How you doing today, tonight, this evening, 4 a.m., wherever you are? Everything is good for me currently. I try to keep that mindset everywhere I go. This podcast continues to be an absolute joy for me. I will admit to something. I have been uh, extraordinarily lonely during the pandemic. I don't think this is necessarily a big revelation for a lot of people. I do think that the pandemic and the separation that we all uh, had to endure for good reasons uh, has a massive effect and is continuing to have a massive effect on us as we have been re-entering into society and perhaps might actually go back into other isolations as perhaps some other variants variant as they do. Regardless, it's been so much fun for me because it has dispelled a lot of the loneliness that I have felt over this time because I get to meet and talk to absolutely fantastic human beings. And this next interviewee, Ms. Tracy Mercer, is no exception whatsoever. So something that's been kind of fun is that after these shows, I'll end up talking to some of these people for at least 30 minutes, an hour, and become, I would say, friends with them as well. And I have been able to uh, just really get a good network of amazing people in my life. So this podcast has a great benefit for it to me as well. Um, I've been having a lot of referrals come in, which is a lot of fun. Uh, my friend Michael Lee Simpson will go out and get a lot of these amazing people to speak to, and then they will start to refer other people to us and the show. And you got to talk to this guy, and it's incredible. There was a great guy named uh, Andrew Trapani that I spoke to a little while ago, who was a film producer, horror stuff, just an amazing guy. We got along real well. We're friends now. And he recommended, he said, You got to talk to this lady, Tracy Mercer. She's incredible. All right, cool. I'll talk to anybody. Holy crap, was he right. So get this. This lady, just a monster. She's so absolutely not a monster. <laughs> That's the exact opposite word. She is a maven. How about that for an M word of goodness? She's a maven of goodness. She is currently, uh, she's the SVP of television over at this place called Amasia. Amasia? Amasia. I can't get this wrong. Amasia Entertainment. Um, and then formerly from that, she was with uh, Revelations Entertainment, which was uh, a group with Morgan Freeman, the actor, and she put on just so many great, produced so many great uh, things with him, including a series called Through the Wormhole, which was a science series on Discovery, a la the incredible Carl Sagan's Cosmos. And so we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about Schoolhouse Rock, uh, the incredible series back in the 70s. Um, she's worked with, she did the show called Madam Secretary that was on for quite some time on CBS with the incredible Tina Leone. And she met Hillary Clinton on the show and Madeline Albright on the show. I'm a big politic nerd. She is as well. We, she knows so much about movies. It is absolutely staggering to me. This incredible woman could seriously do an entire hour on the Thin Man movie series, all of them. D.W. Griffith, she could, she basically did an entire show, just kind of compacted on Barbara Stanwyck. She loves There Will Be Blood, my favorite movie. We talked about Network, a film that I have talked about at least 5,000 times on this uh, show. And my favorite part of this interview, honestly, was that I got a chance to – she loves Superman, the original Superman with Christopher Reeve. So I got a chance to sing Can You Read My Mind, which is the theme song – to said movie, the love theme, I should say, the John Williams love theme uh, from said film. So yet again, uh, just an absolutely wonderful person. And to be honest with you, kind of a BFF now. She's an absolutely wonderful person. So as always, I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did making it because fucking hell, this lady's cool. <laughs> Incredible. Have a wonderful day, night, evening, 4 a.m., wherever you are. I did it again. That's kind of my tagline. Bye. Okay, everyone, inspired minds, dazzled throng, please welcome the lovely and talented Miss Tracy Mercer. Tracy Mercer, say hello to the dazzled throng, please. Hello, dazzled people everywhere. How are you? Dazzled. They're dazzled. They're um, dazzled. Like, are they really dazzled? Or are we talking like, you know, climax of Day of the Locust dazzled? Because, I mean, the times we live in are kind of fun, right? Well, I'm thinking more be dazzled. I'm kind of going somewhere else with this, but oh. either way. Well, hopefully yeah. they did the more original, although Elizabeth Hurley was cool, right? Come on. I can already tell this is going to be good. So, <laughs> you, uh, just out of the gate, you're a entertainment TV script 
person, Maven. My God, the work that you've done out of the gate. It was, it, it, it's so much fun, by the way, doing research on my guests because I get to go back and look at their work and I get to see what inspired me and I get to go, oh, I remember that. Oh my God, it takes, it takes me other places. Mm-hmm. So for starters, you are the SVP of television over a television division over at a little thing called Amazi Entertainment. That is correct. It's, it's typically Amasia. It's, it's like America and Asia, uh, Amasia. Um, but yeah, no, that's currently, uh, we're, we're rocking up a great, um, kind of TV and film. So I, I kind of, I do both. Um, I have spent more time definitely in the feature film side of things. Um, and then I'd say probably about 10 years ago, I think when a lot of people noticed that television was really starting to come into its own in a sec, I would argue second golden age. I just thought, well, this is where you go for storytelling. That's really character driven. Uh, we started seeing, and again, no, no shade. I mean, everyone wants the grosses of a Marvel film, but, um, sometimes story takes a second, you know, see or back seat. Um, you know, and the kind of mid range films that I, I grew up loving, you know, whether it's the Norma Rays of the world or the year living dangerously of the world. Yeah. We're starting to not get made as much at the studio level, and television seemed like a place where you could still talk about, I don't know, female leads, uh, diverse characters. Um, and so I kind of, you know, always love film first and foremost, but television has really um, exploded, and it's it's been a, a treat uh, to the degree I've been able to, to work in it um, to really tell great stories. I've really been very lucky and very proud of the, you know, the, the collaborations I've been able to have in the television space. Yeah, and you've done incredible work, but I must uh, admit, I'm a shitty uh, podcast host, and here's why. I forgot to do, like, the most important thing was the first question I ask everybody. Like, I scooted right past it, so I got to go to this one first, all right? It's like a thing, like a tradition. Here we go. Uh, When you were young, what was the first thing that you can remember that inspired you? Was it a movie or a song or a book, or what was it? Go. Oh, Wow. Well, not a thing, but honestly, the first, the person who inspired me the most was my mother. Um, she was introducing me to everything. She was a public school teacher. She was basically um, Dead Poet Society and, you know, Mr. Holland's opus all wrapped up into a badass female frame. Um, okay. And she really exposed me to films. Now I look back on it. Uh, that perhaps we're not totally age appropriate, but you know, she trusted me, uh, if anything, Gen X is the antithesis of the teacup generation. And so she's like, I don't really want to go see Escape from New York. You want to go see that? I'm like, sure. High five. I, let's do it. And I was boom. And you know, as Snake Plissken is still one of my favorite characters. In fact, my little puppy is named Plissken after Kurt Russell. The obsession is real and going strong. Um, yeah, I would say it's my mom and my mom's passion, honestly, for storytelling. Um, really inspired me. We, I grew up in Orange County uh, for a, mo- a lot of her career. She taught in San Bernardino. And for people who aren't familiar with oh. California geography, that's uh, about 120 miles round trip every day after being teaching on her feet in heels, always heels, uh, mm-hmm. for six hours. And so the commute, you know, sucked. But I had about an hour and 15 minutes both ways with mom who told me stories. And oh. so she would literally like almost like pitching, right? She pitched me Bram Stoker's Dracula and then we'd go see the film. Uh, you know, so I was really surrounded by a, this great storyteller and teacher. And I think in no small part, uh, she's impacted so much about who I am uh, and certainly the career, you know, that I, I chose to, to jump into. That's exactly why I asked that question. Boom. Because the second part of that question is the obvious follow-up, which was, or is, how, so how did that get you to where you are now? Right? Oh, and my then- gosh. It, I have to say, it, much to her chagrin, she really thought I should be a lawyer, I think, mostly for financial security. And I think she <laughs> wanted to be a lawyer. And I was like, Mom, I don't even like to read contracts. You know what I mean? So, like, probably not the best career path. Um, but the creative, the storytelling, um, that was all from her. Absolutely. How wonderful. What a fantastic, you know, I, I talk about this sometimes, uh, when I'm working with, uh, working some clients on the head shrinking side that when we tell our stories, then we can kind of extract a meaning out of them. And yeah. obviously your meaning right there was hanging out with mom and having, and having that bond, having that connection and give you the inspiration to carry on with, with your life where it is. It's beautiful. Absolutely. So, okay. That now that's the big inspired minds question. We're done. I'm going to hang up now. <laughs> oh my God, that was easy. That was over. <laughs> Show. Okay. Thanks for playing. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So I'm going to go a couple of different places. First of all, I absolutely love going on to IMDb for the guests when I do the intros or when I'm uh, going to learn about them. And it, it's great. Everything's there. It's boom, boom, boom. But my favorite thing sometimes are the little details. And 
you probably know this, that your acting uh, skill is listed as a movie called Your Name Here as Biker Chick Number 2. Yeah, it was a real stretch for me. Uh, I did have a moped as a teen. Um, uh, <laughs> a friend of mine, this wonderful writer, and it was, I think his directorial debut in film. He came from the theater, uh, Matthew Wilder. Um, he basically, Bill Pullman was the star and he was basically playing a, not so thinly, but thinly billed enough to avoid lawyers, uh, version of Philip K. Dick. And it was yeah, this wacky, realist, wonderful film. And I was a friend and he's like, I need bodies and I can't pay anyone. I said, well, gosh, that's the best offer I've gotten. Well, uh, what do you need? He's like, can you wear a jacket? I'm like, I can wear a jacket. And so there, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just love the fact that you're a uh, pretty powerful uh, woman, badass television filmer, and you're biker, biker trick number two. That's good. I know. It's, it's good. To, I'm glad that you brought that uh, skeleton out of my closet. Hot, Jeff. Thanks. <laughs> I do my research. Hey, you're on my show. I do my research. I do. Wanna- I do. <laughs> so, what, so what was what's so wonderful uh, about some of your output? I noticed this, and I'm going to talk about some of the different things here, but. Mm-hmm. Pretty wide. You're is you know, obviously you have your fan. I mean, obviously we were talking earlier before the even we taped this that you know we're fans of music and we're fans of um, of, of sci-fi and Starlog and Fangoria and that whole world. But oh, you yeah. also have a really broad, like thematic output. Um, Ruth and Alex, which I think was then called Five Up, Five Steps Up. Five, five flights up. We had like so many titles on that um, because we really couldn't really land on a great one. It was it was based on on a book uh, that I'm very really special, and yeah, it ultimately came out as Five Flights Up with the great Richard Longcrane directing, and and it was such a, um, a remains a career highlight for me because I I got to work in in, in New York uh, where we shot the film and with one of my childhood heroes, Diane Keaton. Yeah, uh, that's why I, I brought this up. Oh God, she's magic, and I just feel so lucky that she said yes to this little script we developed. Um, you know, my, again, going back to my mother, she took me when I was, you know, not smart enough to be reading Shakespeare to see Long Crane's Richard III, uh, the Great. You know. I mean, if people haven't seen that, they should really check it out. It's it's incredible. But um, I just thought. God, will he say yes to this? And he was friends with the writer, Charlie Peters, who, you know, has, has done all kinds of wonderful things. But I think he, much to his chagrin, he's so talented. He's like, yeah, I'm just known as the writer of uh, Blame It on Rio, right? Uh, um, uh, I, but um, I, it was just a magical time, you know, getting to work in New York. And I, you know, at the time, I was heading up TV and film development for Morgan Freeman. Uh, um, and one of the goals I had working for him was I wanted to find – Got a sweet love story. I mean, Morgan is, I mean, look, he's, you know, he's absolutely gorgeous. He's got more charisma than anybody. And I'm like, how have you never gotten the girl? <laughs> like, on that is just wrong. And we need to correct that. And so in the back of my head, I was always hoping to kind of find something like a nobody's fool, which I think is one of Paul Newman's great kind of end of career films and just a lovely character piece. And along came this script, you know, five flights up and, to be honest, it goes back to kind of mom and dad, uh, their beautiful relationship. I, I had great parents with a cool marriage. And there was something special about this script. And when the script came into me based on the book, uh, the lead that Morgan ultimately played was actually written to be a very short Jewish man who's white. And um, so we did a little bit of development. And I think just by casting and maybe one line, um, Morgan brought all kinds of layers to it that kind of elevated something very interesting um, with that film. But getting, you know, if you're if you're outside, you know, in New York City in front of Radio City Music Hall and you're watching the great Morgan Freeman and, you know, the equally great Diane Keaton, you know, make googly eyes at each other, you're like, this is good life. This, this yeah. is special. You know? Yeah, that's, that's that pinch me moment. Yes, yes. I understand that well. Diane Keaton, so yes, I brought this up specifically because of Diane Keaton. You're absolutely right. Because, <laughs> Jesus Christ, you know, I was thinking about this actually today. You know, again, I like doing these kind of things. I do the research and I remember certain things. And to this day, I still do this. Once in a blue moon, I'll go, do-do-do, which is her from Manhattan or Annie Hall. Annie Hall, yeah, yeah. Or la-di-da, la-di-da, la-di-da. And also Christopher Watkins' best performance in history. Oh my God. And, and Jeff Goldblum, I, I, I forgot my mantra, right? This little away. You're like, and bringing it back to Alien, you know, all of these singers date at the end when he sees Annie in front of the movie theater is Sigourney Weaver. 
Oh, you're right. Yeah. I'm like, look, it's the tallest actress he's ever worked with. It's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, what was that movie she did? Um, God, in the, it was in the mid eighties where she was uh, a businesswoman and a mom. I think. Oh my God. Baby boom. Diane. Baby yeah. boom. Baby boom. I don't have time for a baby. I have a meeting, right? This is one of the greatest lines. She just holds the kid up like he's a sack of potatoes. And then yeah, Nancy Myers, one of her early triumphs. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, what a great commentary that was too on that whole, you know, yeah. balance, work-life balance kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, any film that like, you know, the solution is that you, you know, you get to hook up with like hot Sam Shepard, the vet in the county and you're in you know, out the country rather. You're like, yeah, that, that seems like a happy ending. Get out of those stores of Manhattan. Um, but yeah, it's a sweet film. I, I come back to that one a lot too. I, I just, I think Keaton is just magic. I mean, I, I think she's one of the best bands, but also people forget like, and, and it's funny because when the conversation, she was very honest with us when she was considering the role, you know, I, I think she, she doesn't view herself the way we do. I don't, I, I, I never got the sense she understands that she's like this national treasure. Um, but she's like, I kind of do versions of myself and I just want to know this is how I'm going to play it. And I want to make sure the director and you guys understand this is how I see. It. I mean, it was very, very clear with us, but you know, people have to go back and, you know, look, at looking for Mr. Goodbar, right? right? You you look at things like Reds. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in Reds, you know, is when she's taken on Congress and she talks about religion and the hypocrisy of the country. And you're like, whoa, you know, and, and then she can do any home. You know, she's got an incredible range. And, and I, another film that I really love from her, um, kind of her earlier work, but I, I love opposite Mel Gibson, you know, like Mrs. Sofal, like those kinds of films. Again, wow. today you do it as a mini series or a limited series. I don't think studios are really making a lot of those, but she got to work in a time where it was possible. And I just think her range is, is undeniable. So yeah, special, <laughs> really special performer. And, and, and I might say, by the way, ridiculously hot. I'm, I'm <laughs> so ridiculously hot. I mean, we bonded because we were, we both felt like we were the weirdo girls from Orange County. She's also from Orange County, and um, I like hats. She likes hats. I mean, that, you have to start somewhere. But um, no, I just, she was just really generous and 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 so cool. You know, just uh, she's exactly who you want her to be. And and right. we were so yeah, people like that are in, people like that are intoxicating. Yes, they are. They are. And I mean, such an incredible life. I mean, I just feel like, you know, she's also a big proponent for the LA Conservancy, which is a cause that I really care about and I'm a member of. And, um, you know, she advocates, she, she uses her celebrity to the best, you know, she'll go and fight, you know, in these city council meetings because she knows the cameras will follow and she does it to support and save our history. And she like legitimately cares. I mean, she has saved all kinds of houses by notable architects and, you know, flip them. I think that's also part of her, her well, passion is real estate, which is why I think she probably also said yes to our movie. She wanted to you know work with Morgan, but also we did this movie that had like a real estate subplot. So I think it's oh, two of her passions acting in real estate together. You know? Yeah. Her and Helen Mirren, by the way, huge crush to this day. Don't oh, care. Well, I mean, you've got great taste in women, Jeff. Well done. Yeah. I mean, I like smart women. For, first of all, let's just get that out of the gate. I like people who aren't evil. That seems to kind of push a lot of other people out these days. So <laughs> I'm kind of narrowed down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really, it's a good way to weave everyone out um, in LA. Uh, no, there's a few of us. They're okay. <laughs> a, a very small waning population, but nevertheless, but I'm not going to go dark tonight. I'm not going to go dark today. Not today, Satan. So, <laughs> go into the light. What was that? Go into the light. <laughs> go into the light, Carol Ann. Carol Ann, go into the light. Um, P.S. By the way, you, you and I know you know this. That was that was that would be I think it was Gremlins where they finally were like, we need PG thirteen now, guys. <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> It was a kind of cool era where you got away with stuff. I mean, I, I think they kind of created it for Spielberg uh, with Temple of Doom. There, you know, it's like I don't know if you're ripping out someone's yeah. heart. That's Kalima, Kalima. Right, with like chil- children's as slaves. That that seems a little over PG, right? A little bit, a little bit. Exactly. Um, too much money to be made. Let's create PG thirteen. <laughs> you know, there we are. And then it'll sell the movie even more because kids want to go to it even more because it's forbidden. So absolutely, all those eleven year olds are like, I'm rebelling. It's it's good. It's good I'm gonna stuff. go see sixteen candles. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, so moving on. dot com. I would really like to talk now about the, the through the wormhole series that you did with Morgan Freeman. And for yes. okay, so you explain what it is. Give it like a quick little uh, snapshot. I'm going to comment on it. Go. 
<laughs> okay. Um, Through the Wormhole uh, was a TV show that honestly I, I set up and sold probably quite by accident. Um, Morgan had basically said he was, he would think about doing television if it was for educational reasons. And, you know, people might remember he started off, you know, on the electric company. Education is a big thing to him. And he said something once in our meeting that was, it just kind of stayed with me. He said, you know, why don't we do something, you know, where people are going to want to buy a telescope and not a gun. And I thought, well, that's a great and I and he wanted it. He's fascinated by science. He absolutely is um, passionate about our world, our universe. He's totally intellectually curious, and and, and that he really inspires the hell out of everyone, kind of in his orbit. Because he's so smart. He's that guy who I feel like has read so much, like and taught himself almost everything that he knows a little bit about like everything uh. and he was interested in exploring science and so i kind of had that as a as a seedling like maybe he'll do television maybe if it's education maybe if it's science and so um i talked to the agents at the time who repped him and i you know said i think there might be an opportunity here they threw me in the room with the great debbie myers who at the time was running uh discovery science and she and i just kind of threw out some ideas and essentially it started off with do we want to update you know cosmos uh, you know, the great Carl, you know, Sagan series. And it was like, no, we, you know, we want to kind of do something a little different, but that's the right idea. And so we kind of like spitballed some ideas. And the truth was we thought, well, let's ask big questions because if nothing else, we might not be able to answer them. And that seems like something that could propel a series, you know? Yeah. And so basically through the wormhole was created. Uh, Morgan was the host and it basically dared to ask big questions like, you know, um, is, you know, everything from the nature of God to the nature of time, uh, with string theory. We, we really talked about a lot of, um, I think interesting topics because we're at this inflection point with technology, you know, so like when CERN was up and running and the, you know, the great hydrogen collider, collider, you know, was happening, you know, instead of all the conspiracy theories that come out of that, like, what was that really about? You know, we did an episode on the God particle, which is like for, you know, really heavy stuff to get away with on television. And so we were really lucky that discovery found room for us. And, and even though it was discovery science, you know, everybody is rebranding and we were really one of the last gasps of hard science on the science channel um, because there's not necessarily always a huge audience for that. But when you have, I think a legit mega movie star like Morgan um, who a lot of us grew up with, you know, as Spidey on the electric company and the, and the and, oh, yeah. you know, easy, reader, um, yeah. he makes it, palatable. He makes it understandable. He makes it exciting. And I, I think his um, kind of creative genius and uh, passion, uh, coupled with James Younger, who we should give a massive shout out to, to James Younger, and also Kurt Sienga and Jeffrey Sharp. Those were, th- I mean, there were more people, but those guys consistently wrote and or ran the show and were heavy science buffs, wonderful writers, could write in Morgan's voice, um, and really knew how to, you know, turnkey produce the show where we got to globe trot, you know, with tiny crews and talk to some of the greatest scientific minds of our time. And, you know, not everybody agrees, right? You know, it's, there's that old Woody online, you know, uh, the great philosophers may not have had all the answers, but they knew how to ask the good questions. You know, right. I, I think our team asked the great questions and, um, and Morgan was the perfect host to make it accessible and, and the, the kind of why you care matter. Cause his passion is just catching, you know, so it's, it's a show that I don't know that would happen today. Um, I think we got away with it. You know, we're up for four Emmys, which was really exciting. Uh, we always lost to Anthony Bourdain. That's fine. He was a great show, <laughs> um, but it was just cool to be invited to the table and, and get to tell stories that we thought were important about science. And, you know, my dad, then this ties into the dad stuff, right? Where he was literally a rocket scientist, was in satellite technology Wait. in the Air Force. And Wait. so he, yeah. Wait. Wait, sorry, time out. You're telling yeah. me Freeman's father was a rocket scientist in the Air Force? No, mine was, yeah. So was mine. Let's yeah. So my dad was kind of like, what are you doing, Miss Liberal Arts major, doing the science show that I love? You know, because that was always because my dad was the science and math guy and my mom was like, you know, the literature one. And so when I look at um, kind of the things I've been able to get away with that have gotten made, I see a lot of my parents in in both, you know, kind of sides of my brain in terms of how to get out through stories. So it's, it's actually kind of fun. Uh, (laughs) It all goes back to your parents sometimes, you know, can I say 
often always does. I have to ask, what Air Force Base was it? Uh, he was at Norton for quite a while. Um, he was at, um, gosh, I guess, and he worked out of San Bernardino, El Segundo. Edwards Air Force Base, perhaps? He was at Edwards for a time. He was at the Pentagon for a time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My dad, my dad was a rocket scientist at Edwards Air Force Base where I was born in 1969. Who knows? They might have known each other. Yeah. We'll talk about that some other time, perhaps. That's fair. (laughs) <laughs> That's bizarre. <laughs> True story. Huh. So, okay, here's what I want to go with this, though. First of all, yeah, I like asking about the passion projects. This is what this whole podcast is about. I kind of intentionally do this because that is so important. I want to tell you why, for me personally, because when I was a kid, Carl Sagan was it. You mentioned it, right? right. Cosmos. And it, my mind exploded when I was watching those things as a child, like, wait a minute, this is crazy. You know, and it got me really into that kind of concept of something else out there beyond me. Then there was a show called Connections. Do you know about this? I don't. I don't remember Connections. James Burke. You absolutely have to look this up. There's a guy named oh, James yeah. Burke who's an English TV show back in the early 80s, I want to say, called Connections. And what okay. Connections was, it was like, it was a huge award-winning series for, you know, almost, I think we were in for like a decade. And it was this man who would talk about, like, first he talked about the invention of the seed plow. And he's like, well, this, this thing. And then that led to the invention of this. And then that led to the invention of this in Germany. And then that happened here. And then that happened here. And now you have a computer chip, right? So what that show did for me and other shows like this, including what you're talking about with Morgan Freeman, it taught me how to think holistically. I didn't realize it at the time. But it made me understand that, oh, when something else happens, because things are interdependent. Right. So that kind of idea and the show, even the title of it's called Connections is absolutely wonderful. So what you've done is you've, and I know you know this, but I guess I'm collectively thanking you because you're pushing that concept out of not only education, but also holistic thinking, which is what's lacking in this goddamn country to begin with. So thank you. Well, I've been lucky to work with really good people and I feel like it's funny you say connections because I think that's part of what's so complicated about our lives now, right? We all live on screens, you know, but are we really connected? And, and it's, there's this very, you know, about as deep as for Micah, a sense of communication. And I think we need to have, we, we, we don't, we ought to be a little bit more humble. And I think one of the things I loved about Morgan and I mean, I worked for him for 11 years, you know, and I just, yeah. he's achieved everything he could possibly achieve, you know, in his career and beyond. And he was always humble. He was always grateful. He was always on time. He was always prepared. He was yeah. like the ultimate professional. And I just kind of feel like we all can do that in our own spaces and not often the case, particularly in this industry, but I think the world writ large right now, I mean, we, you know, not to go again, we're not going to go dark, but you know, if, if like one Senator who happens to be correct, yeah, sure. go ahead. Yeah, maybe owned by oil and gas. Right? <laughs> You're from West Virginia. Crazy, right? I mean, hypothetically, you know, but when one guy can stop, um, the entire reason why someone else was elected with a progressive agenda to, I don't know, save the planet. Like that's something that shouldn't be a left, right or center thing. It's like, you know, oxygen is good. Not having the planet burn is good. And, but like the system is broken and the lack of like, Hey man, this guy got more people to vote for him than anybody in the history of our country. And he beat the other guy by 7 million. And because you seem to be owned, we're apparently not going to move forward to save the planet. That's somebody who, to me, I don't know him personally, but like, check yourself. Yeah, You're not, you know, and I, and I feel like that, you know, when you look at like through the wormhole, it was really about, we are a tiny speck that's here for a blip in something that's magnificent. I mean, I think yes. the recent, you know, web, you know, uh, photographs that we've seen of literally like, you know, billions of years of our galaxy, we, you know, magical. be humbled. It's magical, man. Like, but we're a tiny, 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 tiny part of something really special. And so, you know, again, I, I think this is, you know, it's not a philosophy show, but like I, I've always really thought in this kind of looks is how I look at stories too you know, there's kind of the Locksian, like, do you want to be Locke or do you want to be Hobbes, right? Hobbes is telling us everyone's nasty, brutish, and short. 
Locke is like, I believe in the potential, right? It's, 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 the, it's the power of idea and story. And I mean, you look at even our constitution, what it was founded on, right? I mean, what a cool phrase in order to become a more perfect union. Like yeah. that's singular, that's powerful. And so when we talk about the story of America, when we get it right, when we get it wrong, we can argue policy, although today it seems more cult of personality and not policy, but the concept is very powerful. Sure. You know, of like striving to be better and understanding that we're part of, we're connected to go back to your connections thing, but we are lucky to be here and we're standing on the shoulders of some great people. So if you have a chance to tell stories, I think in the TV or film space that can celebrate, you know, real life exploits or thinly veiled versions of, I think that's how you inspire and can capture the imagination and the heart. And I think you have to start there and then sometimes the laws can catch up, right? So it's a real privilege to get to work in this space. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine um, recently and we were saying, you know, is something like Will and Grace more responsible for gay marriage than our feckless politicians, right? It's like kind of pop culture hit made more people feel comfortable to a point where the politicians couldn't deny it anymore. And it wasn't so scary to just say, hey, we should treat everyone equal. <laughs> what a crazy concept. Equal <laughs> Let's do this, right? So, but I think, again, it starts with this, that little sitcom really had a big impact, yeah. you know? And I and so I always try to keep that in mind. And I think some of the stories I've been um, drawn to, you know, definitely I have that in mind. I mean, it's great to make money, but sometimes you can make money and say good things too, you know? And as long as you disguise it, you know, you're not preaching but if it's woven into the idea you can get away with stuff and sometimes you do change hearts and minds you know and um it's the coolest thing when you when you get to pull something off like that you know absolutely uh first of all i'd like to say just quick comment ladies and gentlemen that'll probably be the first and last time that hobbs and Locke have ever been referenced on my show so drink it (laughs) in drink that in folks that was good work thank you very much well done (laughs) <laughs> wow. Um, but here's, here's, yeah, amazing. here's the other thing I'm going to say, too. I, I'm just going to kind of go off here for a heartbeat. Uh, but it is, it is germane to the conversation when it comes to educational programming. So Schoolhouse Rock, done, right? Oh, yeah. yes. But I'm going to give you the most Gen X story in history. So for those of you who are listening who don't know what Schoolhouse Rock is, it, I'm sorry you don't. Go look it up on somewhere YouTube. It was a show uh, – sorry, it was a series – of little clips, essentially, almost like mini advertisements, perhaps back in the seventies for kids. And they were subjects about like government and the subjects about the earth and equality and women's rights and, and like immigration. And it was amazing. The songs were absolutely incredible. The animation was fantastic. Okay. Come on, it's so good. <laughs> here we go. Okay, here we go. I'm going to blow your mind. So uh, about uh, 20 years ago, Bob DeRoe, the guy that, did the music he did uh he decided to put on a one-off show at the troubadour in los angeles where he would play all the songs so i had a friend nice. of mine come in and he's my friend says dude i'm in the choir like the background choir you want to get i can get you in at the troubadour show I'm like oh, yeah so i got to sing this is the most amazing moment of my entire life perhaps i got to sing i'm just a bill i was the boy and the original fucking guy jack sheldon who's not that great of a guy was next to me and he did the bill so you have no concept of how odd it is to be on stage at the tributor in los angeles to say like hey there bill what's going and then he goes that's called a veto like fuck it's weird <laughs> that's fantastic oh my god yeah that is, that might be the most gen x story i hope you were wearing that, right gen x thing. that is literally the most gen x thing in history Right there. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, but this is not about me. This is now more about you. So I want to talk about Madam Secretary. And oh, specifically yes. because I got to throw this out. And again, I get to go back and I watch as you see. So I rewatched a little bit of Flirting with Disaster last night. The oh, God, yeah. Right. The T.A. Leone movie, ladies and gentlemen, who don't know, is going to yeah. early Ben Silver before he kind of had his ears done. And David O. Russell movie, it is fantastic. Yeah. Oh. It- it is so special. It was, I think Russell's, he kind of announced himself on the scene with Spanking the Monkey. And then this was kind of like, ooh, that was a critical darling. And it was like the Miramax time. And so, right. you know, you've got this amazing cast. But I'm so glad you mentioned that because I feel like it's a little bit lost, particularly on younger it folks. Is. Like, flirting with disaster is, there's so many 
reasons to recommend it. Um, the writing, the directing, the all-star cast. I mean, you've got yeah. like Alan Alda and yeah. Billy Tomlin, like doing acid with like, you know, Reagan's face That's on it. Right. <laughs> like the best, I mean, of, of all of this, and again, I have bias because I am such a mega fan, but Corleone <laughs> in that movie is the closest thing to Carol Lombard Hollywood's ever going to see again. Like mm. crack, like comic timing and then she can do the drama and she's got the physical shtick, but then she's like subtle and she can, I mean, and Oh yeah. And she's totally dropped dead gorgeous. So like, she's got all of that. And I remember when she signed on to Madam secretary, I'm like, this is going to work. You know, I just felt like she was so, she's so special. And I, I, as a fan have always felt like she should have had, a, a, a bigger career, although I think she's been very honest about like wanting to be a mom and not pulling away from the limelight when, you know, it chased her because she's such an obvious star. I mean, Runaway Bride was actually bought, I think, as a spec script with Sherry Lansing had in mind to create a, a big star for Taya. And Taya basically dropped out of it and didn't want to do it. And then, you know, then they reteamed Julia, so it's the pretty woman reteaming and whatnot. But I, I, I can't say enough nice things about Taya. I, I think she's so talented and... Uh, I also may not always be the biggest Brett Ratner fan for a variety of reasons, but one no, of the family man yeah. is as close to Capra as he's going to get. It's a quite underrated movie. I think the movie works because of Taya's performance and she settles Nick Cage in a way that is unusual perhaps for some of his work. And I'm a big fan of his too, but there's something special about the chemistry between Nick Cage and Taya Leone. And, yeah. and then you look at her in something like James L. Brooks's Spanglish where, yeah. you know, is she plays a hateful character and she allows herself to be shot. I mean, not that you can shoot her in a bad way. Cause she, you know, she looks like that, but like, it's the least vain least. I don't care if you like me performance, which again, a lot of actresses are afraid to play and she just dove into it and she's so good. But you look at the range, I think with that plus family land, plus the Carol Lombard turn in flirting with disaster and, and hell, I mean, even deep impact, you're right. She's like yeah. kind of the yeah. center. You know, the first time she met Morgan is born in that, you know, the scene in the kitchen in Deep Impact where he plays the president. And, um, yeah, she's, she's, we got, we got lucky to have her. But, you know, I'll tell you the real secret to Madam Secretary is Barbara Hall and her incredible Mm -hmm. writer team. Barbara created that show. We, I, I, you know, I'm unapologetically a Hillary Clinton fan and, I was under the impression she might run as I think a lot of people were for president. And I wasn't sure everyone knew what the secretary of state does. And I love mm-hmm. West Wing. And I thought, well, when West Wing came out, you know, obviously Bill Clinton was president, um, but it was all about the American presidency. It was that time. We're more interconnected. It's a lot about foreign policy now. And so initially the, the core of the idea was what would happen if it was a female secretary of state, which is not a big idea. We'd already had three, right. You know, so it's not, not a big, big concept. Um, but what if we really kind of leaned into the aspirational quality of what would happen if we had people who were above politics, right. The secretary of state is not, it just has to be confirmed. Um, but you know, Secretary of State's also fourth in line to the presidency. And what what does that person do? And, um, you know, that's that we had a title and we had a core concept. Barbara Hall came in and really created out of whole cloth that incredible dynamic between Tim Daly, who plays Taya's husband on the show, and and Taya, and then all the characters. And so we had a really, and it was CBS, right? So it's a little bit, you know, there's a procedural sort of aspect to it, but it was always going to be, if, if West Wing was like we're in the office, you know, Madam Secretary served home life and work life. And one of the things I loved, and I, I knew Barbara was the right creator, when she said, I'm, you know, we're not going to have a woman who's crazy. We're not going to, you know, punish people for being excellent at home, for being excellent at work. We're going to have a, a relationship where no one cheats on anybody or is there that threat. We're going to have a real adult relationship that we should aspire to. That's not without complications, um, but anchored to reality. And, and um, you know, so you had like the crisis of the week that we had to avert. You had the surrogate family at work, you know, as, as a storyline. Then you had the real family at home. And this woman's thematic through lines through the A, B, and C storylines that I think made us feel really good about the potential of when democracy works, what it can look like. Um, so I, you know, I joked, you know, after a certain orange fellow won that Barbara was making the best science fiction show on television with all apologies to the expanse. Um, but a show that still celebrated, um, bipartisanship and being decent and people working very, very hard for the greater good to affect actual change. 
And um, I think we got away with it. And I think that's a testament to Barbara Hall's story ability. And, and certainly we had a killer cast. You know, it's it holds up well. I mean, I, I will say I, we always used to joke that Barbara would write something and then like a month later would happen. And, you know, if, for those who are fans of the show, if you go back and watch season two, there is a storyline about the Ukraine that is actually wow. playing out now. And wow. the president name she gave was Zelensky. So I'm just, I'm just saying if she has really a lot of members, you should call her. Cause she'll wow. probably write. <laughs> oh my God. That is absolutely uh, just, it's wonderful, right. To be able to yeah. get that kind of, um, concept of of harmony the possibility of harmony in the office of of the president yeah, you, know. you know and i have to say one of my favorite nerd moments um because i'm definitely like look i'm still buying action figures it's a problem um but like i'm, I'm totally this, i'm like you know the genre nerd girl but i really love smart dramas and um when hillary clinton was campaigning and she talked about how madam secretary was one of her favorite shows i was like okay oh, yeah. I'm I'm good. That go. was like I really was like it was an honor for all of us behind the show. You, you know, we're we're big fans and you need stinking Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> we did not. You know, I think there was I always thought we deserved it. Obviously I'm biased, but I think there was also in the time we were there. I mean, you know, we're up against like Game of Thrones, which is yeah. you know ten million an episode and you know, as dragons, you know, we just have Republicans mm-hmm. on our show. But you know, it's like um it's fun. It's, I'm it's, having Hillary Clinton say that is probably better than a lot of other shit you could have got. So. And, you know, and she came on the show, you know, so she, she and Colin Powell and the great Madeline Albright um, all had an episode where they were together. Um, oh, oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm glad that those scenes exist. That's very cool. Okay. We're going to move on a little bit here. Don't have a whole hell of a lot of time. Make sure, because I know you're an incredibly important person, Tracy Mercer. So I don't know what's but I'm happy to be with you, Jeff. <laughs> well, we're going to figure this out here in a second, how important you are, because I have this idea, okay? So I don't really know what a producer necessarily does, per se. I don't mm-hmm. really know if a lot of people do. I know it's wearing a lot of hats. I know it's hurting cats. Add any metaphor you want. But here's the idea. We're going to try this out here. Uh, hang tight. I'm going to get my guitar. Just follow this. All right? <laughs> All right. So we're going to uh, try and get a, a little Schoolhouse Rock song. You and I are going to try and write this real quick together and about what you do for the audience. Right? Oh, Here we go. Gosh. There we go. Soft top of my head. Uh, um, Tracy, what do you do for a living? Why don't you tell me right now? Go. Phone sales. Lots of phone sales. Lots of pitching. Um, lots of packaging, lots of dealing with people who don't return calls, but then you email and you text, you do all kinds of things. See, this is why I, I don't, I don't write an iambic pentameter or songs, Jeff. It's not. I, it's not I tried. <laughs> I tried. I tried. You tried. No, but you were sounding good. You should go. I mean, a producer, look, it, there's all kinds of, um, different kinds of producers. Uh, you know, there are some that are more creative. There are some that are more about the, you know, like the bottom line of the budget, I mean, I, I've always seen myself more as a creative producer. So often either conceptualize an idea or find the script or the article or the whatnot, package it by which is attaching writers, directors, actors, you know, raising financing, putting it all together, physical production, post-production, and also having a say in, in helping the um, marketing of said project. So the producers who were really, I think, in that zone, which is what, I, you know, I worked for the great Galen Hurd, who was one of my childhood heroes. I actually wrote her fan letter when I was 14. Um, wait, wait, what? Back up. Tell me that story. True story. True story. Because I wanted to be like Gail. I just, I, I was so blown away by her work, even as a kid. Yeah. I just thought she was magic. She and Deborah Hill uh, were like the two women I knew by name who were producers. And, you know, with the great Deborah Hill, you know, also like Gail, you know, Gail co-wrote and produced The Terminator with Jim Cameron. Deborah Hill, you know, wrote and produced Halloween, right? Amongst other things with, with Carpenter. Yep. And they, they're just powerhouses that were, you know, they were breaking glass ceilings um, at a time where it was very challenging for women in general, but particularly, I think, in the horror and science fiction genres, where their perce- the perception of both genres, right, is that it's very male-dominated and, and bent towards men. And so then you're, you're a woman as a producer, which almost makes you an alien back yep. then, but then you're trying to make a film called Aliens, you know, and, um, you know, no one's done it better. I, I'm yeah. always, I look, I'm a Jim Cameron apologist. I, I love his films. I know the ones that aren't cool, but I still love them. And I think, you know, his films were, in my opinion, from a script level, always more solid when Gail was there behind the uh-huh. scenes. I, I just think you can, 
you can see a demarcation line, you know, I just think that they're great. So I wanted to kind of mold myself after what she did. So, you know, my path was like, what did Gail do? Okay, well, you know, she went to, you know, a good school and she got internships and then she started working for Roger Corman and, you know, the great, you know, B movie guy, you know, know, she's a five minute capper from Stanford and she's like, you know, working and cleaning chemical toilets on the set of Alligator, you know what I mean? Because she's like, I want to learn. (laughs) That does not happen a lot. And um, it doesn't actually. You, I have to say this real quickly. You remind me so much of a woman named Mariana Madalena or Marianne Madalena. Who, yeah, Wes Craven's producer. You know, yeah. I did her show. You should listen to the, or I'll send you the episode maybe. You remind that me is. so much of her. And by the oh. way, She's a knight. She got knighted in France like two months ago. So wow. Well, I'd be I'm honored with that comparison. I, she's a rock star. I mean, I, uh-huh. but again, I, I just think that those women did things in a, in a harder time and perhaps better yeah. than what we're currently seeing. So, I mean, for me, a producer is is in the Gail Bird mold, you know. Um, and and I also just like I love her taste, you know. And, and yes, she's famous for like, you know, the like Armageddon and you know, um, you know Dante's Peak and you know Aliens and the Terminator, but. You you know, she also did some really sweet movies like The Water Dance. You know, if you haven't seen that, you know, Eric Stoltz and, and Helen Hunt had actually beat Reservoir Dogs out, you know, for like best indie movie of that year wow. at the Spirit Awards. Um, you know, but she also did something called Safe Passage with Susan Sarandon about people coming back from, you know, the, the Iraqi war and what does that do? And, oh, and oh. so, you know, she kind of gets pigeonholed as, you know, again, it's a really good place to be pigeonholed, you know, massive budgets and huge popular hits. But she also has an interest in doing meaningful things. In fact, oh. one of the projects when I worked for Gail, I was so proud of, um, she let me kind of spearhead with the great Barbara Boyle, who was her president of production at the time, um, a little uh, documentary we wound up uh, doing with PBS called The True Whispers. And it was the true story of the Navajo Code Talkers. Oh, you're kidding about Code Talkers. Fabulous story because Gail wow. was kind of offended at, you know, wind talkers, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, the model host saved our ass. It wasn't about Whitey coming in. And so she, fabulous. She wanted to do the, the thing. So we did the documentary. It's available on PBS, but you know, wow. true whispers and what the Navajos did for us, you know, she's also since done one about the Choctaw Indians and their role in helping us win World War One. Mm. Um, again, unsung stories of native American heroes. And, you know, so Gail's really diverse and I, you know, I really also always wanted to continue to work in the doc space, which I've loved. I and mean, Wormhole was basically a docu-series, but I love smart drama. And then I want to just geek out and make things with action figures. You know, so that's kind of my range. That's what I'm interested in doing. But I think that also is because Gail inspired me so much as a, as a kid. Yeah. So here's the other ultimate question. Does the story find you or do you find the story? Oh, that's your chicken and the egg thing. That's a really good, that's a great question. It's a great yeah. question. Um, right. I think I'm drawn to stories because they connect on a cellular level with me. So yeah. it's, I think it's, there's certain things that resonate. Like I knew the first time I read the script for five flights up, I saw my parents' relationship. It wasn't about black and white, obviously, but it was the nuance of this loving couple trying to figure out, you know, are the best days behind us or ahead of us? Are we going to keep going? And sure. it was a slice of life movie set over like basically a couple of days. And, you know, again, the kind of film you would have made all the time in the seventies and certainly in the Miramax in the nineties, you just don't do anymore. I mean, today we would do it for a streamer if at all. Um, so I think that was the last gasp of that kind of movie too. But I, I saw my parents in that story and not everybody on that film necessarily agreed with me about the script. Morgan did. Morgan loved it and wanted to play it. And then when we got other people to come on board and then found the financing through a friend of mine, we got really lucky and the rebates were there so we could do it. Um, but it wasn't obvious, you know, but I think it's one of those films that, you know, hopefully Morgan and Diana are with us for many, many, many years, but I suspect it'll be one that people look back on in his career uh, as he got to do a love story. He got to get Annie Hall. I mean, that's, that's cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I ask that you know question is that I, I heard uh, an interview with Keith Richards a long time ago and somebody asked him the standard question like, how do you write a song? But the way he answered it, it just made so much sense to me. He said, just got to be a lightning rod. Right. I'm like, oh, oh I kind of understand that a bit. Like, yeah. now I understand that a bit more. And the way you be a lightning rod is to be in tune. That's my interpretation of it, at least. And to be yeah, in tune, so you can't, you can't go to the future, can't go to the past, right? To be in tune 100%. 
So right. then you can see that the stories are flying around you all day long. It's like I was talking about with you yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's the thing. And I, and I think we also, it's like if time is a human construct to keep us, you know, saying, you know, i.e. How did you spend your pandemic? And, you know, how did you regulate it? What rituals every day kept you going? Um, you know, I, I think stories, it's, it's, they're so, I mean, we talk about this, right? It's like very primal. It's like, you know, we climbed out of the tide pools and we started lighting, you know, campfires and telling each other stories. And then we did kind of not so great artwork on, on the caves. Why to tell stories? And, and so how we see a beginning, middle and end, um, and how are we present in the time in which we make them? I think that's part of, um, and again, I know we promise not to go dark, but some of the things that frustrate me right now are when there are classic films that were made in a certain time that are viewed perhaps by folks through a, a 2022 filter. I think don't cancel the movies. I think put a context around them and create a conversation because the truth is those stories were made at a time, at a place, reflecting society. And part of what's so cool about film is that, especially film and television, but film because it's been around longer, is that you kind of capture a society and like the zeitgeist and amber, right? And like mm. a cinematic kind of amber that you, it's mm. up to us to unpack and say, is it relevant? Is it not relevant? Um, does it offend us? Is it not? Is it like, I think for my money, like I'll just say like the Thin Men, especially the first two before they had kids, it was more fun. Uh, right. But the Thin Men film series um, is the height of sophistication and wit and screwball comedy and great mystery. And just like so funny and so sexy and so delicious. And everyone wants, should want to be Nick and Nora Charles and yeah. cute dog Asta. But right. then you get to the final, the first movie, and you get to the final scene, and you've got this awful Stefan Fetch it type yeah. black that is so. It would have been awful then. It's awful now. It'll be awful hundred years from now. And so, do we just cancel the whole film, or do we look at this and go, "How wow! Look at the views that we're able to write this level of wit for this couple." And then we allowed this to happen. Like, let's have that conversation versus you just should watch it. And so I'm a big proponent of like context is important because the context is part of the human story. It's part of the film story. It's part of, you know, and film is our collective memory, right? And so I think in many ways, like you and I have just recently started talking, but like in December of 84, you saw Ghostbusters in the theater. I saw Ghostbusters in the theater. You and I could completely bond over beers about the experience of seeing Ghostbusters, who you're with, what you're wearing, what you and why it's great and we put lines together we're connected yep. that's a collective memory it's, it's magic when we get film right you know yep. yeah i've been saying this actually that we're in a pandemic of disconnection more and more these days and you're right going to those movies talking about music is another one for me i'm a big movie dork or music dork as are you on both and yeah. you know this when you would go to a i'm sounding so fucking old these days but when you go, <laughs> you go to a record store you would get in your car you pay for the gas right like you go there you do it yeah you pair it off you go home you do this you do that you're invested now you're done you're in it doesn't matter how bad or good the record is at that point you're like it's great i paid dead money for it totally that doesn't happen no, and and it's also like some of these songs, you know, like I mean, I'm not. Oh, I know. So it's one of my many flaws. Is I'm not a huge musical fan. There are some musicals I love. Which ones? There are, well, really quickly, Camelot, because my again, mom took me to go see it twice. Once with, Richard, with Peter O'Toole. Um, I love Chicago. I love The King and I. Huh? Um, yeah, but what I the ones I have problems with are you know something like Carousel, where I'm like, really, you know, he hits you because he loves you. I'm like, I can't, I'm out. Like, I just don't relate to it. Um, and I just, but again, I understand the time in which it was made, you know. And but it, but again, some things for me don't work, and then some things really endure. And you know, like I love, I'm a big fan of, uh, especially the Warner Brothers pre code. Films. Yeah, it is up, yeah. Decency came in. I'm a big Barbara Stanwyck girl. So uh, anytime she shows up, and man, like if you look at Stanwyck's early work, like I mean, even her titles are so salacious. It's like you want to watch them. It's like nightmares, you know. Interns can't take the money. Women they talk about baby <laughs> face. It's like what? You know, it's like she's such a badass and she's so modern that you can watch baby face today and, and you'll have real feel. I mean, feelings about it, you know, and and. Um, and it's still relevant to me, you know, versus something like Disclosure, where I'm like, wait, Michael Crichton wrote something about Demi Moore sexually harassing Michael Douglas, and he had an issue? I mean, not to make oh, light of oh, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
that's a silly movie. That's not that old that people today would be like, wow. You know, <laughs> like it's so, I, I mean, again, but you watch Babyface made in, you know, what, I think late 20s, early 30s. And she literally sleeps her way to the top. In fact, she even, you know, tells off a very young John Wayne, which is kind of hot. I'm convinced it's the only woman ever said no to John on film. But like, it's interesting, you know, whereas I don't know that something like Disclosure is interesting anymore. And that's more recent. So I I just feel like I have to look at these films within the context they were made. But that's the joy of, again, of stories. Some stories just endure. Well, it's cool to see the ones that do. That's the test, right? That's always the idea. The shortest distance between two people is a fucking story, in my opinion. So yes. with that in mind, um, I'm going to do two quick things. Number one, I want you – and you, you're going to have to do this. You're going to say, no, I don't want to. I can't do it. It's impossible. Favorite movie, go. <laughs> one. One. It's got to be Alien because it started it all. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. The original, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's great. And, and mine, thanks for asking, is uh, Network, as we previously discussed earlier. Yes. Well, God, I mean, well, if you would have given me top five, it would have been there, too. I mean, I could have. I, I, I also I will also throw in actually two more real quick, kind of a trifecta, really. Um, Mel Brooks, History of the World Part One, solely because he calls himself a Santa philosopher, which is my aspirational goal now. <laughs> that's me, I think. <laughs> um, and uh, There Will Be Blood and The Jerk. That's the trifecta. That's a range. Okay, I There mean, Will Be Blood is a masterpiece. I'm with you on that. I, I still find that film, it's a miracle. Like, everything about that, there's not a false note. It's so beautiful, too. Like, you can take a freeze frame of any scene and put it on your wall. I mean, it's, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, I would, I would definitely say Sense of Boulevard, Alien, Root. Network. Root. Chinatown. Root. You know, I think those are, those are kind of like, I go back and I'll, honestly, Superman, the movie, man, I, that's my go-to. I'm sad movie. I can put on Superman, the movie. Oh my God. Are you serious? My God. Margo Kidder and like Christopher Reeve doing the, that ridiculous, beautiful, magical date scene where like, good for her being a reporter. Gonna have wait, that wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a uh, podcast for us. We're doing two songs here. Here we go. I think I remember this. <laughs> Can you <laughs> it's so good, right? And I love where she's like asking him all these questions, you know, and, and of course never talk to the press too much, right? Because then Lex Luthor can get plot points. But I love the scene where she's, you know, asking these questions and she's like, Oh, you can see through things. That's interesting. What kind of underwear am I wearing? And he's like, Oh, I don't know, Miss Lane. You must be that planner must be made of lead. What if it is? Oh, I can't see through that. Then she says one other thing and like a second goes by and goes like pink and then boom. I'm like, this is a children's film. Fabulous. Right? <laughs> it works on that level. It's like Mr. White comes by and looks at her copy. Lois, there's not two P's in rapist. You're like, what? You know, that's when you remember there's a Mankiewicz script editing this and you're like, yes, there's a wit. When Rex Reed, remember when Rex Reed comes in the swinging door, you know, the great movie reviewer and she's like, oh, hey, Rex, do anything good today? Not until you shut up, Lois. I'm like, what? I mean, there's like, it's like I'm Richard Donner. I'm going to get the guy who's going to review my film a cameo in the movie. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That is awesome. I just Ooh. love that film. Smart I love, <laughs> I love him. And, he's on- and by the way, now I got, now I'm thinking about it. First of all, Warren Beatty, like hit number two, right? Network boom, Superman boom. Also, <laughs> but Gene Hackman, and the best part about that movie now, I'm really truly thinking about this, is that suddenly you're like, oh, right, he is bald. Oh my God, totally. Like Lex Luthor in that movie, and, and Ned Beatty, the great Ned Beatty. He's like, look, Otis, you know what we have in common? Your weight in my IQ. You know, like all these kind of throwaway lines. You're like, I just love him so much. He's, he's so. Miss Tessmacher, what do you see? Yes. Miss Tessmacher. It's like, Perrine. God, another fuck, man. Like, I was just watching Fosse again recently, and I'm like, God, that, now that woman, that's another great actress. Just wait, wait, which one? All that jazz? Fosse? Uh, no, Fosse. It's like, it's like, um, you know, Dustin Hoffman, or sorry, Lenny, the Fosse directed, but it's oh, like, oh, Lenny, right. you know, it's like she's playing Lenny Bruce, and like, she's yeah. so, like, I think she was even nominated for that, but like, I just feel like that, like, the movie Lenny is so, um, especially now that everyone has thoughts about comedy and canceling everyone. Like it'd be interesting for people to go back and watch Lenny and have a serious conversation. Lenny about what is one of my all time favorite films. Yeah, it's a great film. I mean, it's, 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 it's again, I think today that would be very hard to get through the system. Sadly, maybe on Netflix, but like as a studio, there'd be so many. Get, 
we ain't getting Blazing Saddles in that show. <laughs> we made it. Like that. <laughs> not good. happening. Although that movie was... Uh, regardless, uh, I will maybe I'll close this out with one last thing. I'm sure you know the story, perhaps you don't, of uh, Dustin Hoffman and Sir Lawrence Olivier on the Marathon Man set. Oh you know, my God, one of my favorite stories ever. Yes. Okay, well, now I'm committed to telling it, ladies and gentlemen. I may tell it a little differently than you know it, but we'll kind of match to see what happens. So, deal is, ladies and gentlemen, there's this film called The Marathon Man from like the mid 70s somewhere. And it's incredible, of course, because it's got Sir Lawrence Olivier as, uh, I feel like Nazi affiliated, right? Yeah, pretty much. Is it safe? Is it safe? No, he's yeah. Terrifying. Totally terrifying movie. So at any rate, so this uh, Dustin Hoffman, his character um, has uh, he is in or was in possession of diamonds, and now Dustin Hoffman doesn't know where the diamonds are. But this evil uh, Lawrence Olivier character, Nazi, who's also a dentist, is going to torture him, and he does so by taking a drill without Novocaine, and he just keeps saying, "Is it safe?" And he's like, "Dustin Hoffman, what are you talking about?" So that's the setting. Now, Dustin Hoffman apparently wants to get all amped up for the for the shoot, and he's got all gotten characters. So he either runs around the block a few times, or he goes into like a like a, <laughs> an ice chamber or some shit. I don't even know. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't wash his oh. hair. He's like, ah, you know, like totally. He comes out, ladies and gentlemen, sits down. Sorrow's lady looks at him and goes, "What's wrong with you?" And he's like, "I just kind of get into character." And he goes, "My son, he just called acting." Yeah, <laughs> my son. Have you ever tried acting? <laughs> Like thanks, Larry. <laughs> Aren't you the one that tortured Vivian Lee? Anyway, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> well, listen, ladies and gentlemen of the Inspired Minds podcast, I promised this lovely and talented Tracy Mercer I would do one hour, and we had one hour. So, Tracy, here's how we end the show: a little okay. theater, it's a little theater of the mind. It's a little acting involved. And come to think of it, perhaps you can hark back to your biker chick number two role. Let's just go there. So. <laughs> Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pretend to say goodbye. You're going to pretend to say goodbye. I'm going to pretend to hang up, and then we're going to do a quick little post-chat. Deal? Uh, Sounds good. Boom. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to the fabulous and talented Tracy Mercer, who yet again, ladies and gentlemen, first and last time in history, at least on this goddamn show, that anyone's going to talk about Hobbs and Locke. That's never going to happen again. What an incredible conversation. What an incredible human being you are, and I cannot thank you enough for your time. Your turn. Go. Oh my gosh, Jeff. Well, I'm so glad my check cashed. I want to thank you for having me. Um, it's been a real pleasure and I love the show. I love your love of story. Um, I think we're in dark times and I know for myself, the stories that I tell myself and the stories that I'm trying to make and the stories that I'm watching are kind of saving my ass right now. So I love your mission statement on this. I'm just glad to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm extremely excited. I mean, like I said, I'm going to pretend to hang up and then we're going to keep doing the deal. And three, two, one, and click.